Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk about taxes today, and not in the narrow way that they normally come up around here. We're going to talk about the broad structure of taxes in the city of Detroit and how broken it is across the board. High property taxes that don't yield enough revenue and cost poor people their houses, huge tax subsidies for wealthy developers, an income tax that dissuades high-earning residents. We need to do it better. And we'll talk about how next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm really glad that you've decided to tune in. So it's not an overstatement to say Detroit's tax structure is really odd. And it's partly because Detroit is a city trying to redevelop and build back equitably after losing a million and a half people since the middle of the last century. And we just have not kept pace with the changes that have happened in our economy. So in this city, there are really high property taxes. There are non-existent consumption taxes. And of course, we have lots of corporate tax breaks. Now, all of those things are designed to make sure that the city has enough money to function and to attract people with money to the city to spend it here. Those tax breaks, though, that I was talking about, which have recently come in the form of $60 million to the Hudson site, where there's a skyscraper rising, and $25 million in the form of the Fisher Body Plant cleanup and redevelopment, they really get people's attention. A lot of people say these are inappropriate corporate subsidies. And other people would say, hey, look, th these are necessary to draw more jobs and money into the city. But whatever you believe about these high-profile tax issues, these incentives that get people really worked up, in Detroit, they're only part of a very shattered picture. The tax system here, from top to bottom and all around the edges, is a real mess. Our property taxes, which are collected at the highest rate here in Michigan and one of the highest rates in the country, actually produce less revenue than most other sources. And if you look at other cities, that's the opposite of the way it works there. Your property tax is supposed to be the highest revenue producer, if not one of the highest. High property taxes also dissuade buyers at the top end of the market, right? How many times do you hear people say, I don't want to live in Detroit because I don't want to pay the property taxes that I would pay on a really expensive house. And then taxes have also meant that many poor Detroiters lose their homes or struggle to keep them because they can't keep up with property taxes. So there's a penalty at the top of the market and an even more dire one at the bottom because of the way we do things. Meanwhile, the growth in economic activity in the city, entertainment dollars and big development in downtown and midtown, all of that activity really escapes the burden of taxes that would go to the city because our antiquated tax structure doesn't really appropriately target them. The city is short on revenue for services, for investment, for infrastructure. And at the same time, the people who live here and the poorest people who live here especially bear the brunt of a walloping tax burden. Something desperately needs to change. But when issues with our tax system come up, we tend to focus on a discrete part of it rather than looking at the whole. As I said before, people were really up in arms about this $60 million tax credit that went to Dan Gilbert's skyscraper a few weeks ago, and justifiably so by my estimation. 
But the reason that that happens and the problem that it creates is so much broader than tax breaks or incentives. Instead of getting angry at Dan Gilbert or getting angry at city council for giving Dan Gilbert the $60 million incentive, what we need to be doing is talking about how that fits in the overall tax structure in the city of Detroit. We need to talk about the way we even conceive of taxes in this city, the way we ensure there's money to provide the services that Detroiters need, provide them better than we get them now, and the way we keep taxes from causing really negative outcomes at the top and bottom of the economic scale. Now, I know conversations about taxes can be a bit boring and a bit dry and hard to keep up with, but these are really important questions. And they are really urgent questions in this city. We have to understand why we don't generate the revenue we need to do the things that we need to do in Detroit and why the tax burden in this city is disproportionately on the people who live here and on many people who have a lot less money to support this place than people who are not paying their fair share. I want to start a conversation about this, not just today here on the show, but in a broader sense. We really need to have a long-form talk about taxes and tax structure in the city of Detroit. We can do better. There's no question. But in order to do that, we've got to think of it in really broad terms not just one-offs where we're upset about one thing or another, but in the entire environment. What are we taxing? What should we be taxing? Who's paying taxes and who's not? To talk about all this today, we've got two guests that I know think about these questions an awful lot and will give us great perspective about this. Eric Lufer is the president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan and the guest who appears here every so often. Eric, welcome back to Detroit Today. Stephen, it's been a long time. It's good to join you again. And Nick Allen is a former manager of strategy and policy for the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation and is now a doctoral candidate studying city planning at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Nick, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, great to be here. So, Eric, I'm going to start with you. As I said, Detroit's property taxes are very, very high. And even as high as they are, they don't produce the kind of revenue that you would see in other cities. As I said, in other cities, uh, the property tax is either the leading revenue generator or one of them. Here, uh, there are lots of other things that outpace uh, the property tax. So talk about how we got to this place where things are really upside down and how much we should be focused on, again, the property tax in the context of our overall tax environment. Is it a sign of what I was saying in the open, which is that things are really broken here across the board? Yes, things are really broken here across the board, but I would say that statewide in Michigan, we have a broken municipal finance system. <clears throat> so to start with, uh, property taxes are the third biggest source of revenue for the city of Detroit. That is different than almost every other city and village and township in Michigan. But I would argue that all the others should be chasing what Detroit's doing. Michigan as a whole relies too much on the property tax. Mm. We should be relying on income taxes and consumption taxes and things like that. Let's double back to that. So how did we get here? Uh, as you said in your introduction, Michigan's or Detroit's population topped out late 50s, early 60s. Last good count was the 1960 census. But we know uh, it's been down. So not only did the city lose people, but it lost businesses. And each one of those families that left, each one of those businesses that left, 
took the tax base with them. And for the most part, the tax base that is left is a lower income, uh, lower value of the property that's left. So if you think about Detroit versus, say, Troy on your northern uh, northern suburb, Detroit, Troy has a very strong tax base, a lot of big houses, wealthy houses, has that 16-mile Big Beaver corridor with a lot of high-rise and, and business. It has a very wealthy tax base. It can afford to levy a low tax rate on a big tax base to get the revenue it needs to operate its city government. Detroit, on the other hand, because of everything, all that out-migration of people and businesses, is left with a smaller, relatively smaller tax base. And in order to come up with the revenue it needs, it's levying at a very high tax rate. Uh, you said the highest in Michigan, that's not quite right. There's a few governments, e-course on your southern border, oh, that has right. higher tax rates, but yeah. it's high. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Misery doesn't love company in this case. Uh, so it almost becomes a disincentive. And, we start off just looking at how much the city government is levying, and then we add in the refuse tax on top of that and the water rates on top of it. In many neighborhoods, they have special assessments. So it's, you know, they have a saying, if you want less of something, tax it. <laughs> and in the case of Detroit and other governments that have struggled, the more you tax, the less people you get because they find someplace else, greener pastures that have... Uh, that are levying taxes at lower rates. Yeah. So, so uh, Nick, um, I, I want to continue talking specifically about the property tax, but I guess the question um, to you is uh, is about the, the, I guess, the comparison between uh, something like the property tax, which if you talk to the, the city officials here would say, Look, we've got to have this high rate because that's the only thing that that generates enough of the money that we need to keep services going and keep the the city functioning. At the same time, though, there are many things that we don't tax in the city of Detroit, and we, we certainly aren't taxing the things that are growing in the city of Detroit and and have been growing for the past decade. Um, I, I use this example all the time when I talk about this issue. If you're a family uh, who lives outside the city, you come downtown uh, for a night of entertainment, uh, you park your car, you go to a restaurant, uh, you go to a ball game or a show, and maybe you go and do something afterward, uh, and then get your car out of the lot and, and leave, nothing you've done generates specific tax revenue for the city. Uh, you may pay some sales tax here and there uh, on your restaurant bill, for instance, um, but that money goes uh, to the state. In other cities, there are tax structures that try to capture more of that and then give some relief, perhaps, to the property tax, which of course falls on uh, entirely on the shoulders of people who who live there. I, I always point to that because I say, again, it's the tax environment here that's the problem. It's not one tax or another. It's the way that we think about all of it and the way all of it either incentivizes people to live here uh, or punishes people for living here and still leaves us with not enough to do the things that we need to do. Yeah, Stephen, I think that's a great framing for it. And I also appreciated what you said up front. Um, you know, I, I think the challenge here is that multiple things can be true at once. And that's true of many different uh, policy areas in the city. Uh, so for me, and just to reiterate those things, the first is that investment in the city is really tricky. Um, it requires a lot of civic support and it often requires tax relief uh, to get there. And the, and the second thing that I think is really important that you've said is that Detroiters and especially longtime residents and businesses feel excluded from that same relief that's being offered to new investment. Um, and they feel heavily taxed, especially on property that they own or use. Uh, so for me, the question is, how do you build that inclusive relief structure? And you're naming a couple different ways you could do that, right? One is to 
what we'd call export tax base. You could try and find opportunities to tax things that are growing in the city, as you say, um, and and capture some of that to make sure that it's paying for city services and things that people outside the city are consuming within the city. Uh, but I also think that there are lots of other options here. Um, and I, w- I will say, uh, especially when we think about sales tax, um, it's one of these areas that's pretty heavily constrained. I've learned a lot about this from talking to Eric uh, or reading Eric's work in particular, um, but about the, the way that sales tax is particularly constrained in Michigan. So let's put a pin in that and talk about that too. Um, so that's all to say, I completely agree. I think that there there is an important question of how do we drive relief, especially in areas where um, people with a very low ability to pay for taxes are paying taxes far in excess of the rates uh, that people with, with more income are paying. Um, and that has been a really motivating challenge for me in, in working in this area. Yeah. Uh, uh, before we go back to this, uh, this question of the property tax and, and sales taxes and the kind of constraints that we face in, in Detroit, I want to I want to go back to something that you mentioned uh just a second ago, Nick, the, the, this idea of how hard it is to to be a developer in Detroit to make the numbers work for mm-hmm. development is is also an important part of this equation. As I said, everyone was talking about the sixty million dollars uh, that that Dan Gilbert asked for in extra incentives for the skyscraper he's building on the old Hudson site. Some people were really upset about it. Uh, some people were were uh, accepting of it, saying, "Look, this is the the price of 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 doing business." Um, but but that that difficulty um, of of making those things work without those incentives is also part of the tax structure problem. Uh, it's almost a self fulfilling prophecy. We've got an environment that makes things hard in part because of the way taxes are structured. And so what that causes us to do is create uh, these incentives, these breaks for people uh, in order to, to make them want to do it. And again, it's all misplaced because we get angry about the incentives, but we don't talk about the environment that creates the necessity for those incentives. Yeah, Let's broaden that a little bit, too, because I think the important thing here, as you're pointing to, is that there's this really crushing tax burden on property in the city. Mm-hmm. And that's really borne by just about every household in the city uh, and especially people who are who are already here and committed. Um, and there's there's this kind of important question of what do you do in that environment to attract new investment, knowing that if you don't, the only alternative is to continue to concentrate higher and higher costs on the on the households that are already here. So I, I think of that as, as kind of the fundamental tax governance challenge in the city. Um, and one thing that comes to mind for me, especially on, the, on this recent uh, tax incentive deal with Bedrock uh, on the new Hudson site, is that it's actually very similar to what's been happening on every other, essentially every other new investment in the city for decades. Um, we're in, and I'm not just talking about downtown. You know, if we can think about the Fisher body as an example of this recently, where the, the economics of the deal just don't work. Literally, there is no profit available and no no you would lose money on the deal if you didn't pursue a tax a tax relief of some type and the same thing is actually true of affordable housing deals in the city so any type of low-income housing construction in the city also requires property tax relief so we spend a lot of time trying to make this work for new investment in the city and the frustrating part is there are all these existing assets in the city that still struggle under these kind of same crushing costs Okay, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about taxes and the tax environment in the city of Detroit, whether we could think of the whole thing differently in a way that might lower the burden on longtime Detroit residents, uh, but also generate more revenue from some of the growth and economic activity that we're seeing. We want to hear from you during this conversation as well. What do you think about the taxes that we pay here in the city of Detroit? What do you think about the breaks that some people get from those taxes? And what do you think about the overall tax environment? How come we aren't having a more serious conversation about ways to change it, about things we could add or subtract from it 
to do better. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking today about taxes in the city of Detroit, all the different kinds of taxes that we have, the money that they generate, how it's not quite enough, really, to do the things that we want to do, and how some of those taxes are an undue burden on Detroiters themselves. also, at the same time, why uh, lots of other things that go on in the city of Detroit, economic activity that is growing, doesn't face the same kinds of tax burdens. Recently, there was a big hubbub about tax incentives here in the city of Detroit because the Detroit City Council decided to extend a $60 million tax credit to Dan Gilbert uh, in his effort to build this uh, new skyscraper on the old Hudson site. Lots of people thought that was a bad idea, giving a billionaire a tax break uh, that maybe he didn't really need at the same time that, of course, uh, Detroiters who pay uh, exorbitant property taxes uh, are waiting for the city, in fact, to make them whole uh, to the tune of $600 million that they were overtaxed over the last decade. Uh, Of course, all of these things fit into a broader context, a big environment of taxes and revenue that I think anyone could look at here in the city of Detroit and say, it's not working the way we would want it to. And in fact, it's probably quite broken. Uh, The question is, how do we we go in a different direction? Uh, Will we go in a different direction? It does seem that when these issues come up, people's ire is directed at specific instances or specific taxes and not at the system as a whole. It never really is this big conversation about how we could restructure the entire tax structure here in Detroit. Uh, Our guests right now are Eric Lufer, who is the president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, which is a nonprofit research organization that thinks a lot about questions like this. Also with us is Nick Allen. He is a former manager of strategy and policy for the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation and is now a doctoral candidate studying city planning at MIT. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think of the taxes that we pay here in Detroit, especially if you are a Detroiter? We want to hear from you about uh, that burden that you face. Uh, Also, give us a sense of whether you think we ought to change the way that we have structured taxes here in the city. What would you do differently than we do now. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into we can work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start today with Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Uh, just, just like to ask your guest... Uh, whether or not it's time to change uh, some of the aspects of uh, this antiquated system that uh, caused such asymmetrical development uh, throughout the city of Detroit. I'm referring specifically to the tax increment finance areas, uh, uh, the tax uh, incentives, the abatements uh, 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 that caused the rest of the city uh, not to get on this uh, path to development because mm-hmm. all those that's a tax capture uh, so only those areas benefit from the taxes that are generated there and and as a result of that with the tax abatement structure the city of Detroit is hit with a, a double whammy uh, 
the rest of, of the areas don't benefit from the development, and yet their share of the taxes grow uh, incrementally to where uh, it culminates in a situation like you recently just had, uh, 600 million over assessments that caused uh, 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 tax municipal foreclosures among homeowners, driving the homeownership rate down, while at the same time you're giving a, a 60 uh, a million tax abatement. That's uh, that's 10 to 1. Yeah. And uh, those kind of developments uh, didn't just start with that. Uh, uh, as your guests have pointed out, that's been part of the method uh, for years and years. Uh, back to uh, Proposition H of 1972. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene, as always, I... I really appreciate you calling and and sharing your understanding and knowledge of of, of these things. And this is a great point. This idea of uh, TIF districts, uh, of of tax incentives, and the way that they're used. Uh, Nick Allen, the the question I guess I would put to you is why. If we were going to rethink all of these things, I think we probably wouldn't come up with. Uh, a system that would eliminate tax incentives for developers. I mean, every city, it seems, has some method of trying to, you know, to, to, to grease the skids for big developments. I guess the question is, if, if the tax system were fair, uh, wouldn't it then have more of a direct connection with needs of different parts of the city? In other words, needs in the neighborhoods, needs of, of, of residents uh, who are perhaps paying uh, exorbitant property taxes or are um, not able to, you know, uh, not enjoying decent services. I mean, one of the problems, I guess, that Detroiters rightfully have with the tax incentive system here is that it does seem disconnected from their lives and that maybe there is a system where we could figure out that all of these things work work better together. I wonder what your research says about that. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about that. And I love that framing, too. Um, you know, I think a really good way to think about what incremental change is possible is to say, if you could start from the very beginning and, and think about the values that you would want to express in your tax code, what would you want to have? Um, and for me, the, the top of that is really an inclusive tax system, one that one that says, if you are here, we are going to re- make sure that you are able to build, retain, and restore wealth in your community. Um, you are. This is a place that is going to absorb capital and also uh, uh, support neighborhoods. Um, and that that we're not going to, uh, and that we're going to basically reward that investment on a broad basis rather than in a narrow basis. And we're going to do that over any other activity that you can have. Um, that to me is a really powerful way to think about what a tax code can do. So when I've thought about that, um, one way that I've thought about it is that we we want to, in some ways, do uh, the same kind of tax relief that we only offer as a Band-Aid now. Um, right now, what a tax increment district or really what a what a tax incentive does is it is it takes some of the burden off new investment. But it does it in this way, as as uh, Gene is pointing out, that doesn't also uh, create new shared tax base for for to draw on. And a way you could actually handle that is to give a similar measure of tax relief to every single household in the city on both their existing property, the property that they occupy and repair and maintain, um, and also to any new investment that's made in the city as well to make, to start with that really inclusive idea. And the question is then how do you make up that revenue? And I think that's kind of the, the sort of central question that, that this show is, is talking about right now. I, I would submit to you that actually one of the most important ways you could do that is with land. Um, land is this incredible community resource in Detroit. I think a lot of people have identified that. Uh, and it's also an opportunity to think about a tax base that doesn't, that doesn't discourage investment and doesn't, and doesn't, uh, punish people for living in the city in the same way. Um, it's, it's a, it's a tax base that you can, you can draw on without putting additional burden on other tax bases. And that's, that's, I think the most important thing to understand about the proposal that we put together. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I wonder what you make of this balance between what goes on downtown and the way that we want to incentivize that uh, and and this this desperate need that we have in, in neighborhoods, not just of tax relief, 
but also of better services. There is not a direct connection between those things. And and as Gene pointed out, there is a very apt comparison between the $60 million tax incentives that Dan Gilbert is getting to build uh, his his skyscraper downtown and the $600 million that, um, that Detroiters were overtaxed over the last decade, which caused a lot of people to lose their houses because of tax uh, foreclosure. Again, because we're not talking about it in a systemic way, I think the discussion doesn't make those connections. But if you live here and you're experiencing these things, I, I think it's impossible to escape that connection in your mind. Steve, I was working on an economic development project once looking at the system we have in Detroit, Michigan, and sat down with a developer or the economic development um, municipal person. And I said, wouldn't it be better to have really, really low taxes and not have to offer these incentives, uh, have low tax rates? And he sort of looked at me and he said, well, how do I, you know, what's the sugar I give to these businesses to come and invest in? Mm -hmm. So um, it, it just is so dysfunctional in so many ways. They'd rather have something that they can offer and the net result of it is you're taking these monies either through the tax abatements or with the tax capture and, and repurposing them for other purposes. And that puts a higher burden on everyone else. So the city had to almost uh, put extra pressure on the neighborhoods and the residential property um, to come up with the money. And it just, the, the overall solution, I think, as you keep referring to, is we just have to alleviate the pressure on the property tax to be a source of revenue in the city. And the question is, well, if not the property tax, then what? Right. Um, so, you know, that sort of leads to what do you do about it? What, what else is out there that you could tap onto? Yeah, yeah. Um Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. So that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to uh, the, uh, our Twitter account at hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. Let's next go to David in Detroit. David, what's on your mind? Good morning. Thank hey. you for the uh, discussion. Uh, sincerely appreciate it since it's been top of mind. I'm actually been in an email discussion with one of Eric's colleagues about this, this topic uh, for the last week or so. Hmm. And thinking about GASB 77, which was updated in 2015, so that those are the rules for municipal accounting measures. Uh, there could be, I think, developed a, a dashboard uh, for incentives that are on the board, so to speak. And interestingly, looking at the, the downstream uh, receivers of funds that are now being left out. So if you pass a TIF, you're not just taking dollars away from the city, but also potentially the community college, the library, uh, and, and other institutions that, that could be caught up in those captures. So uh, I'm not aware of any sort of sophisticated or even basic dashboard uh, for municipal tax abatements in the state of Michigan. Uh, and since it would be broken down by municipal structure, um, you would need one not just for Detroit, but the surrounding region to really see the full impact of uh, the various uh, agreements that are made. Uh, and ultimately, if we want to talk about you know reforming the tax code, we need to be talking about the constitutional convention opportunity that will be on the ballot in 2026. Yes, uh, because all of this is embedded in the state constitution, and and frankly, most municipal structures have already been preempted for you know more creative or equitable ways to to raise funds. So even if we were as Detroiters to repeal the city income tax, there's not really a great way to uh, replace those funds to make if, up that money. Yeah, if there's a three thousand signatures on a petition, you could potentially repeal the income tax through the through the the city's uh, amendment process. Uh, and that would blow a 25% hole in the general fund if that were to happen. Uh, but that's also the only sort of uh, tool that, that seems to motivate, you know, municipal structures to think about different ways of doing things if voters take away uh, large buckets of funds that they feel uh, entitled to. So yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, David, those are all really great points, and I'm really glad you called to, to share them. So, uh, Nick, Alan, um, you know, when I go to Chicago or if I go to Boston or if I go to Washington, D.C., and stay in a hotel, for instance, um, and look at my bill after I check out, there's always a hotel tax on on that bill that is levied by the city that uh, that I'm staying in. And, of course, here in Detroit, I would never see that on a hotel bill. It's another example of what I was talking about before, which is that there are these kinds of consumption or entertainment taxes that other cities are able to levy that help ease the burden of property taxes or income taxes or other taxes on people who live uh, in a city. Here in in Michigan, we are, as David points out, we're constitutionally barred, really, from from doing those things. Uh, In in Chicago, there are are sales taxes that are levied uh, by the city on top of the state sales tax. So if I buy something in downtown Chicago, there's a loop tax, for instance, uh, that that exists that collects money for the city from that purchase. We can't do that here either because of those things. In in many ways, what we're talking about is, uh, and Eric Lufer referred to this earlier, we're, we're talking about the actual structure of municipal government in the city. And of course, it plays out differently in Detroit because our needs are greater. It's a bigger place. Um, but these are things that we would have to deal with at the state level. Yes, that is definitely true. Any new taxing power that you talk about in Detroit has to go through the state legislature. And I think that's a really important thing to consider in thinking about what alternatives exist. Not only does it have to pass through to, for, for every jurisdiction in Michigan to feel comfortable with the idea, but in some cases you also hit these constitutional constraints. So for example, in Michigan, sales tax is constitutionally constrained at 6% statewide, and that's what the state currently charges. So that doesn't leave a lot of additional margin. Now, you could. there are other ways to think about that. Um, you, As you mentioned, Stephen, you could think about additional, say, surtaxes or use taxes on, uh, on hotels specifically. But I, I, it's challenging here because I think that the, the, the difficult thing about sales taxes is that the narrower you assess them, the fewer things you assess them on, the less revenue you have available, hmm. and the more you just simply move economic activity around. So, of course, if you if you charge very high hotel taxes in Detroit, the natural solution that hotel owners will choose is to locate their hotels on the on the border of the city just outside of it. Um, and, and those are the kinds of things that we also have to think about um, when we think about alternative sources of revenue to relieve these tax burdens on residents of the city. Hmm. Uh, Eric, uh, you and I have had conversations about these constraints before. Talk about what role they should be playing in the conversation about changing the tax structure in Detroit. Yeah, so 1963, we adopted a new state constitution. And in that constitution, it said local governments, cities, uh, could have the ability to come up with whatever tax they want. And, and that's out there. And the ink wasn't even dry in the state constitution before the legislature said, whoa, 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 nothing can happen at the local level unless we pass a law saying that it's authorized. So we we bind ourselves into the system. And, and Nick talked about the sales tax specifically on that. So we end up with a system where local governments, Detroit, and think about all the tourism that happens throughout Michigan, <clears throat> They do all these things to make themselves vibrant communities and they don't get rewarded for it. So, you you know, the sales tax is certainly an option, but the gas tax, uh, entertainment tax, a whole bunch of things you could imagine that would benefit from the rebirth in Detroit and all the growth that's taking place. The other part of this that really throws a, you know, makes it difficult is we put into our constitution that local governments cannot apply a new tax unless the people in that community vote on it. Uh So when you start thinking about these alternative taxes and you say, well, this would be good. We could imagine doing this or that. All this 
competition that we just talked about with the property tax and the disincentive to be in a place, as Nick just said, you know, it's sort of at, at some point it changes economic equations. So uh, Detroit says, well, let's levy a, a sales tax if we could get away with that. Well, now the stores are looking, do they want to be on the north side of 8 Mile or the south side of 8 Mile? You can still draw from the same customers. You have to worry about the tax in one place, but not in the other. And, and that affects where people are going to shop. So now you're saying, well, Warren, if you do it too, then it's it's equal and we don't have to worry about it. But there's this problem that nobody wants to go first. Nobody wants to be the outlier with a tax that's extraordinarily high in changing where people are shopping, where they're buying their gas, where they're going for entertainment, anything like that. Our legislature thought about this a long time ago and said, mm -hmm. well, instead of giving alternative tax options to all our local governments, what if the state just collected the taxes and shared them with local governments? So it's uniform across the board. We don't have to have a vote at each community. We could have one rate across the state and it trickles down. And that worked until the legislature said, wait a second, we're out of money. We're going to keep that for ourselves and local government. You go figure it out. Right. Right. So, so we Revenue sort of sharing. came up with a solution to it, but then we, we broke it. Yeah. I mean, revenue sharing, of course, used to be this great source of support for municipal government and the things that it needed to do. And of course now it, it's a fraction of what it, what it used to be. And, and the state legislature, as you point out, has always said, well, we just don't have, uh, we don't have the money to share. Uh, that way. Okay, we need to take another quick break and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about taxes and tax structure in the city of Detroit with Nick Allen and Eric Lufer. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Deborah and Ham Tramick, Annette in Farmington Hills, Robert and Hunter in Detroit. We'll get to you if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guests are Nick Allen, a former manager of strategy and policy for the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation. He's also a doctoral candidate at uh, MIT studying city planning. Uh, also with this is Eric Lufer. He is president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. We're talking about taxes and the tax burden here in the city of Detroit, uh, a huge tax burden that those of us who live here uh, endure all the time. Also, though, a tax burden that doesn't make a lot of sense in a global sense, in the, in the sense of the entire tax environment here in the city of Detroit. It doesn't generate enough revenue to do the things that we need to do as a city or to do them well. It also, of course, burdens some people a lot more than others. This made news recently when Dan Gilbert was uh, awarded $60 million in tax incentives by the Detroit City Council for the skyscraper that he is building in the middle of downtown. Of course, those incentives, developers will say, are necessary to make these kinds of projects work. At the same time, though, of course, the property tax burden for individuals here in the city remains quite high, and the city owes $600 million to residents who were overtaxed by property taxes. How do we resolve those kinds of conflicts? How do we get to a place where all of the tax burdens make sense here in the city and the city has enough money to do the things it needs to do? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work into the conversation. Before we get back to callers, I want to have both of our guests, though, talk about for a post-industrial city like Detroit that's changing as rapidly as it is and where ac economic activity is actually growing, but not growing in the ways that we might have anticipated 20 or 50 years ago, 
what would a pretty simple tax structure look like, or a tax reform, I guess, look like that would generate the money that we need and ease the burden on the most vulnerable? Eric, I guess I'll start with you. Eric, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay. You we're having our day. Oh, there you go. Now we can All hear right. you. Go ahead. Right. Um, when you ask that question, you have to start with the uh, basic understanding that there's only three types of taxes in the United States that are capable of levying the serious money to run a, a city the size of Detroit. That's the property tax, the income tax, and the sales tax. Detroit already has the property and the income tax, so the, the third one's the sales tax. Uh, we looked a couple of years ago, we did a report and looked at what other states and other major metropolitan places are doing, other big cities. And it's a whole list of local option gas taxes and cigarette taxes and alcohol taxes, entertainment taxes, internet use taxes. You, you could do all those types of things. And they would help, but they're not going to, you can't get rid of the income tax and, and put those in place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly the roads in Detroit need fixed. Quit whining to the state and come up with the money yourself, right? So what if we had a, a vehicle registration tax or a, a gas tax in the city that would go to fix the roads? And, and you could do that. It's going to help at the margin. But the only way to really come up with the money that Detroit needs to um, benefit from the economic activity that's evolving uh, the entertainment center it is would be to come up with the sales tax and we've already chronicled how that difficult that's going to be yeah yeah uh, Nick uh, what would you what would you think is an ideal structure for taxes in a city like Detroit yeah, Stephen. So one thing I'll say is that nobody likes new taxes, and that's a that's a really important kind of thing to think about, uh, both with with uh, folks in the city and folks outside of it. Um, so the question is really, how do you use that new tax to drive relief? In in my in my view, and how do you do so in a way that's equitable and permanent and universal um, for the city? So when you think about that, what is the right thing to replace these high tax burdens with? I think that's an important question, and I would say there's two things that really matter here. One is that you want to tax something that you can't chase away, because in a city like Detroit, it's always challenging to make sure that you are attracting uh, people and, and uh, investment and jobs to the city. And the other thing is you, want to, you probably want to tax activities that aren't super economically productive, right? Like speculating on land is a pretty good example, where people will buy land at a very low cost, carry it at a very low cost, um, and, then, and then reap the reward when other people are making uh, uh, making investments in their community and making putting putting money at risk um so of course the one way you could do that is by taxing land mm -hmm. so let's say by reducing taxes on improvements throughout the city every single building every single structure every single even a parking lot right the pavement itself and replacing those with taxes on land you can create some pretty remarkable effects in the city um you would raise the value of housing everywhere including rental and homeowner housing we, we estimate by about 10 to 20 percent, um, you would increase the number of businesses in the city. We did a study that looked at cities in Pennsylvania that do this, and we discovered that, oh, this attracts a huge amount of manufacturing and retail and wholesale business. Um, and the other really nice thing about that is you reduce the burden on people who have, who have low ability to pay uh, because they don't own a lot of land in the city in, in terms of value. Uh, so at the same time that you're doing these things that reward investment, you are also taking off the burden from people, allowing them to pay their taxes, pay a manageable tax burden. And we, we think would actually reduce tax foreclosures by about 20% in the city at the same time. Yeah. Um, so that's not everything, right? But I think in some ways it's a really important, uh, those are important principles to raise about what we're trying to do if we also can do tax relief. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's uh, next go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, I've only got a couple minutes left, but I want to get yeah. to you. Hi, I just wanted to say that uh, the tourism tax on hotels and maybe rental cars and stuff like that is an awesome idea because Michigan is becoming more of a tourist state. And it doesn't have to be just Detroit. It could be across the state. Mm -hmm. And there could be opportunities to have bike trails and parks and stuff like that with matching, matching tax dollars from the state. 
Hmm. So I, I think we can foster more uh, working together than than fighting each other, suburbs against the city and yeah. rural against the city. Yeah, right, Robert, I I really appreciate uh, the call and those thoughts. That's a really that's a really nuanced way of thinking about uh, how to do that. Uh, let's next go to Hunter in Detroit. Hunter, running short on time, but want to get your idea out here. Well, I I would respectfully disagree with your guest uh, dumping on the income tax because one thing. Uh, if people are making money, they should be paying it. And like, there are a lot of people in Detroit who have property but have low income, and they're the ones getting really hurt by the property tax foreclosures. Mm-hmm. But a guy like Dan Gilbert, he gets his $60 million property tax abatement. But if he starts making a lot of money on this project once it's done, then he can be taxed. And it makes more sense. You're taking more from those who have more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hunter, uh, appreciate the the call and the and the... The, the, the comment, uh, Eric and Nick, we're running really short on time. We've got about a minute left. But if one of you want to address that income tax versus property issue, we can do that. No, I, I think income tax is an important part of the tax structure. The issue in Detroit is it's levying its local income tax at a rate higher than any other city in the state. And so we just need to affect the rates. I wouldn't do away with the income tax. Yeah. Okay. All right. Eric, yeah. for, oh, go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, I agree. I think the central focus should here be on property tax and these high burdens on residents in the city. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nick Allen and Eric Lufer, it was really great to have you both here uh, for this conversation. And of course, uh, our callers, as always, are great at adding to the conversation as well. But thank you both for being with us. Great to be with you. Take care, Steve. Thanks, Stephen. Okay. That is going to do it. Transit in Southeast Michigan. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>